Matthew chapter 24, uh, we're going to start there in verse 10. We have reached the end for us of Colossians. We started this in the heat of summer in July. Now we're ending it in the heat of fall in October. Uh, but we are going to be entering into a new series next Sunday, praying through the Psalms uh, for a few months, and we're really excited about that, doing that together. But we're wrapping up Colossians today, and where where we've gotten to in the letter is Paul has been lifting up the the person of Jesus and the need for the church to focus on Him and not take their eyes off of Him. Remember that a big purpose of this letter was that there were false teachers that had entered the church and they were trying to get the people to look toward other things for their uh, for their spiritual well-being. So whether it was religious practice or it was angelic worship or it was uh, dreams and visions not tied to the Holy Spirit but to these angels, they were pulling people's eyes off of Jesus and Paul writes Colossians to get their minds back on Christ. Keep your focus on Jesus. That's the big message in Colossians. And he's ending the letter with some ethical, practical instructions to the church, to families, households. And he's ending these instructions today with how the church should interact with those outside the church those who do not know Christ. And I want to start in Matthew 24 with this life truth. And if you're a note taker and you have one of the worship guides, let's fill in this life truth together. As our love for Christ grows, so will our sense of desire and responsibility to make Him known. I believe that. I believe that as your love for Jesus matures and grows in you, one of the things that will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit in you, is that you will, you will be aware of both a desire to make Christ known to other people as well as a sense of responsibility that I'm supposed to do this. Jesus has done so much for me. Jesus is my life. He is, what we just saying, the rock, the foundation that I stand on. Everything's about Him. I want to make Him known. I don't want to hide that and keep that to myself. And not only that, but I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible to love people in such a way as to give them an opportunity to hear about the One who has saved my soul. I pick Matthew 24. I just want you to look at this text in verse 10 because Jesus is speaking about the end of the age. The, uh, the Bible speaks of the end times really from the, from the moment Jesus ascended into heaven until, until now. All of that is under the, the envelope, if you will, of the end times. But the Bible also speaks of the end of the age as we are getting to the end of the end, if you will. And Jesus shares some places in his teaching about signs to look for and things that you can understand about that season. And look at verse 10. He says, many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Two things in this passage, we spend the whole time on it, we're not, but two things I want you to notice. In the end of the age, in the season of the end of the end, some people's love will grow cold. Their love for God will grow cold. They will fall away from the faith. They will betray other believers. Their love for the church will grow cold. They will be distracted from fellowship and from worship. Their love for the lost will grow cold. They will hate the world. They will hate what they see in the world. And and in essence, we should hate sin, but they will hate the world to the point that they, that they will withdraw from them and have nothing to do with wanting to bring them to know Christ. And on the other hand, there will be this group of people that will take the gospel everywhere. They will share it. And I believe they will do that because quite the opposite of their love growing cold, their love is growing. It is burning in them. They are loving Jesus more. They are loving His people more. The more they see the darkness in the world, the more they will love the kingdom. The more they see sin, the more they will love the One who saved them from sin. The more they see that the time is drawing near, the more they will realize, my time is short People around me are souls. They will live for eternity with God or apart from God. And their response will be, share the gospel. Some will get on planes and boats and they will fly or float or they will go far from their home to preach the gospel. Some, some will stay home, but they will share the gospel all around them. And it will be based on their love for God and people growing cold or their love for God and people growing hotter and hotter, deeper fire and burning to make Jesus known. All of us are in one of those two camps. When we try to be lukewarm, those first few letters of Revelation in Jesus writing to the church, it doesn't, doesn't go well. We are growing cold in our love for God and people, or we are growing hotter. The fire is burning in us for God and His people. And I want to lay that before you this morning because it's up to us to take that self-diagnostic look and ask, which camp am I in? Am I being distracted? By the world, by prosperity, am I being distracted by the by sin and I see sin in the world and I I just hate the people that are sinning so much. I, I'm pulling away from God, pulling away from people. Or is my love for God growing more? I see evil in the world and I want to be more with Jesus. I want to abide with Him. I want to be with that that is glorious and filled with light and love and and then Christ, as that love grows, it spills over 
and I want to make Him known. And I, I feel a responsibility to that. Which camp are we in this morning? Fight to be in the camp. Fight to be in a stance of your heart that loves the Lord and loves His people and loves to make Him known among the lost. Back in Colossians 4, these final instructions from Paul to the church. They really begin back in verse 2 where we spent so much time last week. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That was really the sermon from last week. But then Paul in verse 3 asks, as the church is praying, pray for us that God may open a door for us for the Word to be preached to declare the mystery of Christ. And with that in mind, as Paul is asking for the church to pray for him and his ministry team to share the Word, now his mind is directed to the Colossians. And he says, essentially, it's not just us that's supposed to be sharing the Word. It's not just us that should be unfolding the mystery of Christ, but you should be doing that as well. And so his instructions, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In your notes, I have some fill-in-the-blanks here for how we engage those outside the church. Take that picture from Matthew 24. Agape, we should engage the lost. We should... Be wary, careful, avoid false teachers. We should not be overcome by the world. We should not be wrapped up in the temptations of the world. We should walk differently, live differently, think differently. But it is not yet time for us to withdraw into eternity. It is not yet time for us to withdraw into that place where only God and His people exist. We are in the world still, and we are to engage the lost. We are to engage the outsiders, all of us. It's not just for the missionaries, not just for the ministers and the pastors. They are to prepare us, especially the pastors and the teachers, to prepare us for works of ministry. We are to engage the lost, all of us. So how do we do that? This is not the only time this is taught in the New Testament, but we're going to focus on what Paul says to the church in Colossae. Number one in your notes, we should pray for opportunities. I think we get that from verse 3. That's what Paul asked for. At the same time, pray also for us. And then what was his prayer? That God may open to us a door for the Word. Pray for opportunities to engage with outsiders. Pray for opportunities to engage with those who don't know Jesus. Pray to know how to do that. Jesus is the light of the world. He looks at His people and then says, you are the light of the world. Christ in you is God's plan by His Spirit to bring the lost to know Him. So pray for the opportunities to engage with those who don't know Jesus. That may be really easy for you. It may be, I, you may decide, I'm surrounded every day by people who don't know Christ. So pray for open doors with them. 
pray for opportunities to be open to you to share with them the gospel. Some of you may say, I'm, I'm not around a lot of lost people. Pray for your eyes to be opened to see them. Pray for the opportunities to be able to engage with them. Pray that when you see the lost, you don't despise them. You love them. Pray that your heart would be broken for people who are doomed to torment forever. Pray that you would desire to make Christ known to them. Pray for opportunities. Secondly, as you're praying for these opportunities, live out sincere faith. Live out sincere faith. Hold your place in Colossians 4. Go back to Colossians 1 for just a moment. And I want to remind you of this prayer in verse 9 that Paul said to the church in Colossae, here's what we pray for you. From the day we've heard about you, because remember, Paul's never met these people, most of them. He's never been to this church. He didn't start it. A convert, Epaphras, that had sat under Paul's ministry, started this church in Colossae. But Paul says, since the day we've heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you. Remember what they prayed. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. A very simplistic formula to think of is it begins with knowledge of God, growing in knowing God. It moves to understanding and wisdom. How do I live this knowledge out? What I'm learning about God, how do I apply that to my life? And then comes action. Then comes behavior. So Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, back in chapter 4, what Paul is showing us, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. His first part of the command is, Take that wisdom that you're learning from the knowledge of God that we've prayed for you to have and apply that to how you live in front of those who are not Christians. You're not supposed to just live faith in the context of the church. You are to live faith wherever you go. And in particular around outsiders. They should see your faith. I think part of this is just Paul saying, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord at all times. Don't just try to be a follower of Jesus when you're around other followers of Jesus. This is your whole life. At the same time, when you're around outsiders, when you're around those who don't know Jesus, and, and, and you know, look, some of them challenge you and make you really angry, don't lose sight of who you are. Don't lose that spiritual wisdom and understanding and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord in front of non-believers. Be very careful to walk in a wise way in front of them. If you really understand Jesus' teaching, you are the body of Christ. 
You are the physical representation of Jesus on this earth. Live in that way. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Let them see Jesus when they look at you. Let them hear Jesus when they hear you. Is that going to be perfect? No. And yes, there are many times where you need to share with people your flaws and be transparent with them. But when you do that, they see Jesus. Because they see in all your flaws that Jesus has redeemed you and saved you, forgiven you of your sins. And you're not walking the way you're walking. You're not living wisely in your own power because you're doing it because Jesus is in you. Let them see that. Live out sincere faith in front of those who are outside the church. Number three, take advantage of the time God gives you. Take advantage of the time God gives you. When you pray for those opportunities and you're living out your faith, you're going to get them. God is going to answer that prayer. You're going to have chances. And here's what Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, we've preached on this a little bit before. That's actually like one Greek word there. Make the best use of the time. It's one word. It's actually found in other places in the New Testament to describe what Jesus has done for our life. He redeemed us. It's literally redeemed the time. Jesus redeemed us from a master that was sin. And when Paul writes about this in both Ephesians and Colossians, the way he's writing is, you need to buy back your time from what would enslave it. You need to redeem your time from what would be the master over it. In Ephesians 5, he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So it's this general principle as Christians, watch how you use your time. There's a lot of time wasters out there. There's a lot of opportunities to engage in sin. So make the best use of your time. It's the most precious commodity you have. You don't have a lot of it. I don't know that I've ever met someone who just said, I have so much time on my hands, I don't know what to do. Even if they really felt that way, I just I never hear anyone say that. But even our lives, they're short. This is the time we have been given to make Christ known. This is the season, this is the life that we have to make Him known. And then we stand before Him. And we will praise Him for all of eternity if we are in Christ but we will never again have an opportunity to bring someone to know Him. It's now. This is the time. Time is short. So take advantage of the time God gives you. And in a sense, I believe Paul means here, specifically, make the best use of the time that you have with an outsider. So when you see that the door has been opened, to talk with someone, share with someone, build a relationship with someone. Make the best use of that time. Take advantage of it. Don't just talk about 
nonsense, although sometimes there's a place for that in building relationships and talking about things that we relate to one another on, but, but don't just spend your time there. Take advantage of the open door. Walk through it. Make the best use. Buy that time back. Take advantage of it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. And then I want to jump down to the second part of verse 6. He says that he wants them to know how to answer each person. So in your notes, I think we need to be prepared to receive conversation, questions, and challenges. And what Paul shows here is that when you pray for opportunities and you're walking in wisdom and, and outsiders can see your life, they can see your faith, you should make the best use of the time because they are going to engage with you as well. That very language, know how to answer them, means that there are going to be times where these outsiders are going to engage you in conversation. Your, the Spirit of God in you, if you are living that out in front of people, it is going to draw out of people conversation. You are going to find times when you're really living out your faith and people can look at you and they can say something's different about them. Or something stands out about them. I need to talk to someone. I'm drawn to talk to this person. To you. I believe the Spirit of God will draw out of them conversation. They will come to you, and it may be with their problems, their testimony of their suffering, but I think they will come to you. You should be prepared for those conversations. Honestly, we should be prepared to make time for them. If we're really honest, sometimes we don't always want to talk. <laughs> we're tired. It's been a long day. Sometimes we don't want to engage with someone. I know I've already, in the last few months, done a me playing disc golf with Sam story, but I'll do another one. I was waiting. I was waiting for him at the park to play disc golf, and there was a guy that was there, and and I, I, it was I don't know something was going on with him. I could kind of tell he had picked up some of my disc and thrown them to a, to a dog for some reason. I don't know why he did that, um, and and I could just tell something you know wasn't really right and I, I I had no desire to engage this guy in conversation Sam comes up we're getting ready to play this guy comes over starts talking Sam starts talking with him in my mind I'm like oh it's getting dark and and then the guy says something like well I'm glad that uh, I had a chance to talk to you and Sam said well maybe it's a divine appointment do you know Jesus and I was like man I'm just being shamed by the spirit right here um, and, and, and so we, when we had a conversation, I share that with you just to say, I mean, like people know me and they say, I love to talk. I love to, to engage with people. And I do, but sometimes I just kind of want to be left alone. And whether Sam saw an opportunity or just felt he couldn't get out of it, he engaged in that opportunity. And I think that's what we're called to do. Be ready to make conversations with people. But also be ready for their questions. They're going to have questions. The Spirit of God will draw out of people questions about faith. 
They will draw out of them and they will ask you and be ready for challenges. Sometimes the Spirit of God in you will draw out of people a challenge to your faith. Maybe where they challenge you in a very harsh way. Where they want to argue with you or fight with you. Be ready for all of those things. Know how to answer each one. You don't just necessarily run from the people that want to challenge your faith. Know how to answer the conversations. Know how to answer the questions. Know how to answer the challenges. In your notes, I think we should discern when to speak and when to listen and pray. I think part of knowing how to answer someone is knowing by the power of the Spirit when you need to say something and when you just need to listen to what they're saying and pray. I'm not saying you will never speak and say something, but I think there are moments when the conversations come up, especially, or the challenges. I think there are times where you need to, you'll know, I need to say something here. Be bold and do that. But there may be times where you just sense, you know what, I just need to listen right now. And I need to pray and ask God how to respond, maybe later, if the opportunity comes around. But certainly, being prepared to receive their conversation means, in your notes, when you do speak, share truth that is adorned with graciousness. And that is directly from what Paul says. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. I believe we must speak truth to those who are outside the church. It is not just only our good works that will save them. Good works open a door. But the gospel is to be heard. We come to faith by hearing the message about Christ. Some of us the challenge for us is we need to pray to be bold because if we're really honest, we're, we're trepidatious about sharing truth. We're worried about our jobs. We're worried about what people will think about us. We're worried about what we need to say. And that's where we need to grow. Some of us, we don't have a problem sharing truth. We're ready. But sometimes we want to use truth as a weapon. And Paul is reminding the church here, and keep in mind, he's writing from prison. He's in chains, in jail for preaching the gospel. He's been placed there by outsiders. If anybody has a reason to be angry toward those who don't know Jesus in this moment, it would be Paul. He is writing with a chain on his hand saying, Be gracious. Let your speech always 
Be gracious and seasoned with salt. You know what it's like to hear someone speak who is gracious while they do it. A kindness to them. A respect from them. A gentleness with them. You can be firm and gentle. You can. Seasoned with salt is... It, it's. A metaphor, an idiom, we don't really even fully know what is meant by that. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness, because otherwise what good would you be? A lot of commentators think that what this term means when they look at the, the Greek writings of the day, it was very common for people to say, speak seasoned with salt, and it meant to be winsome or to have attractive speech. Say things that draw people in. There is a way that you can speak truth to people that is not at all attractive to them. And there is a way that you can speak truth to people that is gracious, kind and gentle, respectable. And for those that God is working on their heart, they will be drawn toward it. In 1 Peter 3, Verses, I'll start at verse 13. Parallel passage here. Peter says, who, the, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Peter gives the general principle that most of the time when you're zealous to do good, you won't suffer for it. But even when you do, it will happen because... It happened to Jesus. You'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, those who would persecute you, nor be troubled, troubled. but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then look at this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter writes the same. Be ready, church. People are going to ask you, why, why are you joyful? Why are you smiling? Why do you have this hope? What is going on? Be ready. Be ready to give an answer. I don't think that means in your mind know what you're going to say. Okay, I'm going to say this if they say that. I think it means abide with Jesus, prepare your heart, and when they ask that question, be ready to open your mouth and speak, and God will give you the words. Be prepared. Be ready. But when you make a defense for your hope and what is in you, do it with gentleness and respect. Adorn your speech with graciousness. I've talked about this so many times that I feel like y'all probably roll your eyes when I start it, but I'm just going to say it again. One of the Things that happen with us where we're at today in this social media world is that we can speak to people. We can speak at people without having to look at them. We don't have to see their eyes. We don't have to be face to face. Church, this covers all speech. Whether the type you type, the ones you type in comments and statuses and what you say to people online, and it covers face to face conversation. What if people know you only by what they see in social media? 
and what you post and what you talk about and how you respond to people. Keep that in mind. Are you walking in wisdom toward outsiders? It's a big part of our lives now. And face-to-face conversations speak to people in a way that is gracious. Don't hear me say, again, don't speak truth. You're not really loving people if you're not willing to share with them about Jesus. I'm not calling you to not speak truth. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the dangers of sin. But you can do that with gentleness and respect, graciousness, seasoned with salt. And then finally, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. This journey of engaging with outsiders. We're not going to do a sermon on verse 7 through verse 18, but we could. And I want to tell you what I think sometimes happens, because this happens to me. We get to the ending of these letters, we see there's a bunch of names, some of them hard to pronounce. Amen, Kevin? And so then we, we're like, I, I mean, this really isn't important. We can learn a lot from these names. We can learn a lot from these people. One of the things is that we're not supposed to go it alone. Paul, even in prison, has a ministry team. In prison, he has a ministry team that is coming to him and he is sending them out. He's writing letters. He's sending the letters. He's telling them what to go share. They're ministering to his needs. His team has not abandoned him. Paul doesn't go it alone. And neither are we supposed to go it alone. Every single one of you in this room or watching this later, if you are in Christ, you have a ministry. You are to minister to God as you minister to people. It it will sometimes be in a setting like this, like what I'm doing, but it won't always be that way. Don't think of ministry as just what happens inside of a church building. You have a ministry. And you are to engage in that ministry and serve God by serving people with your gifts. But you are not to do that alone. You should have a team of people that are with you. Maybe they're not doing the same thing you're doing, but they are there to encourage you and lift you up and help you. We are the body of Christ. This church works when every part of the body is using their gifts to serve and minister inside and outside the church, and we are to do it together. Don't go it alone. He says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Where's here? Prison. Paul says there's a, there's a lot of ministry and a lot of things that are happening right here from this prison and they're going to tell you all about it. We don't even know what it is. It wasn't written down for us. But Colossae heard about it when Tychicus got there, when Onesimus got there. I want you to remember the tie-ins. Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, those letters. Philemon lived in Colossae. Paul sends the letter 
to the Colossians. He sends the letter to Philemon at the same time, urging him to receive Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave that had ran away. Somehow he ended up in Rome. He heard the gospel. Paul says, now you've got to go back and make it right. He tells Philemon, I want you to receive him as a brother. That letter's going to Colossae. So is the letter to the Colossians. And he's written a letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus that is nearby. He sends all these letters with Tychicus. And Onesimus goes, and they tell the church all about what's happening, where he is in prison. In your notes, minister together. Minister together. Do it together. Paul has envoys. Imagine if he hadn't had a ministry team. Imagine if he hadn't had people with him that loved him and stayed with him even when he was in prison. He can't send emails and post things online. He's writing letters. He's got a team. They're going out. They're going on dangerous journeys. Look at how he describes Tychicus. A beloved brother. A faithful minister. A fellow servant. Who is your beloved brother and sister? Who's that faithful minister that's with you that you minister with one another? Who is your fellow servant that you serve the Lord with together? Minister together. Even Aristarchus will call him Ari. Look at this. He says in verse 10, My fellow prisoner greets you. What does this mean? Aristarchus was so close to Paul that he got himself thrown in prison with Paul. He kept so close to Paul in his missionary journeys, and we don't know how it happened, but he was so close to him, he got imprisoned with him. Ministering together. Who are you ministering with? Who, who are your fellow beloved brothers and sisters, faithful ministers, fellow servants? And they're in this church. And it's not just about who you get along with the best. It's not just about who you relate to relationally the best. It's the Spirit of God in each of you, and it's God putting you together to minister together. And sometimes relationship issues are going to come up, and so in your notes, do not give up on one another. Do not give up on one another. I'm, I'm not speaking of those outside the church loosely connected to Jesus that you are trying to minister to and minister to and minister to. And, and maybe at some point, God will say to you, you need to cut ties and, and move on. But I'm talking about the people in your fellowship and body of believers. Don't give up on one another. Mark is an example of that. Look, look down a little further. He talks about Epaphras... Justice, oh, in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Okay, just real quick. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's a young man in Acts. He goes with Paul on a missionary journey about halfway through. Mark says, I'm out. You get to Acts 15. Barnabas comes. He's about to go with Paul. Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. Paul says, I want nothing to do with that guy. No, he's not going. They have such a deep rift, they cancel the missionary journey they were going to do together, and they split. 
Barnabas, I think he takes Mark. Paul takes maybe Silas, and, and they, they go on separate missionary journeys. Years later, here Paul is in Rome, and who's with him? Mark. Paul, we believe from church history, is released from this imprisonment. Three or four years later, he is imprisoned again in his final imprisonment, and he's executed. The final letter he wrote in that last imprisonment is 2 Timothy. In that letter, he tells Timothy, please come to me quickly and bring Mark with you. He is helpful to me in ministry. Don't give up on one another. You need a ministry team. Don't give up. The person that you're a little out of sorts with right now may be the person down the road that you say, they are so helpful to me in ministry. They are my brother and I love them. They are my sister and I love them. Don't give up on one another. Finally, take fellowship and worship seriously. How do we become ministers together? How do we not go it alone? We need to fellowship together. We need to worship together. Demas is our example here. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Nothing else is said about this man. Sumus man. But when we get four years down the road to 2 Timothy, when Paul writes Timothy and he says, please come quickly, bring Mark, he says, because Demas has left me. Because he loved the world. Demas is with Paul, here imprisoned in this place in Rome. Four years later, Demas has abandoned Paul and maybe the faith because he loved the world. We don't know why that happened. But what I do know is the Bible tells us, encourage one another, exhort one another every day that none of you are hardened by sin. I know that Hebrews tells us, do not neglect being together. And as you see the day approaching, do it all the more. There's a lot in the news right now about wars and rumors of wars, and I've heard a lot of conversations from people who are talking about what does this mean for prophecy in the end times and things of that nature. Let me tell you something that I can't speak into that with a lot of authority, but let me tell you something I can speak into with authority. If you believe we are in the end of the end, you should be gathering together more and more. But even if you don't believe that, Hebrews is so clear. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. You need fellowship. You need worship. I have heard some really good stories about people in this church right now that are getting together to pray and to spend time together and worship and pray for the church. I'm going to say something, and I, I, I'm going to say it because I, uh, it, it might be a little hard, but I, I hope you all know I love you and it's coming from a place. But I'm going to speak to men for a moment. None of those stories are from men. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just telling you I'm hearing about ladies in this church that are getting together to pray and pray for the church. I have not yet heard those stories about men. And I know that may sound like I'm trying to guilt you or whatever. I'm not. But here's what I'm saying. Men, we set the example 
for the church and our families. And I know we work and we have so much on us. But look, this is reality. This is the human condition. We make time and we make energy for what we value. For other stuff, we make excuses. We are to value the fellowship. We are to value worship. We need to take the lead on praying for our families, our churches, our communities. We need to make time for it. Now listen, you know me, I don't try to scream and fuss and things like that. If you feel like what I'm saying is not from the Bible and not from Jesus, you have all the provision in the world. Forget it. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. But if you know it's from the Word, if you know it's from God, then we need to do it. And I'm not just speaking to the men, ladies and teenagers, all of us. Take fellowship and worship seriously. This is our time. This is our time. Let us steward it well. Not out of guilt and compulsion, but let the Spirit of God stir our hearts to what a privilege it is to minister together. To be together. Worship together. I don't know if you felt something during worship or not this morning. I don't even know if I should use the word feel. But I will tell you this. For those of you that did, what happened here could not have happened by yourself at your house. I'm not saying the Spirit of God is not there, but I'm saying God does something when His people are together for worship. And God does something when we get together for fellowship. We're going to continue to provide opportunities. We have a men's group. We have a ladies group. We have small groups that meet. Take advantage of those. But don't wait for us to provide all the opportunities. Call someone up. Text someone and say, hey, do you want to get together and pray? Do you want to have a phone call once a week and pray for the church? Take the lead. Do that. Make it a priority. I want to end in this verse. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Some people believe Paul said, remember my chains as a sign of apostolic authority. Remember that I've been imprisoned for the gospel as an apostle. But others believe Paul was simply saying, remember, pray for me. Agape, let it be said of us one day, we were prisoners for Christ. And that people saw our chains for Jesus. Not, hopefully, physical prison. But that we are sold out for Christ. Ministering together. Loving one another. Loving the lost. Engaging a lost world as a church. It's so much better to do that as a fellowship of believers because it will be challenging. You need one another. 
I need you. You need me. We all need each other to accomplish this task that we've been given. 